And Florence came to me and she said, I really think after that prologue, we should find her chopping her hair off. And I was like, that's so good. So how are we going to do that? And she's like, oh, no, I don't want a wig. I don't really want to cut my hair off. And I was like, that's kind of scheduling impossible. And she's like, you'll figure it out. <laughs> and, and, to, and to her credit, to her persistence, uh, we did figure it out and we made it work. And I think it's really, really powerful choice. Um, I love it. And that really is her chopping her hair off in one take. Welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, a young woman and an older man deal with the consequences of a tragic accident in director Zach Braff's drama, A Good Person. The film tells the story of Allison, whose life falls apart following her involvement in a fatal accident. She is brought together with Daniel, a grief-stricken father who is also dealing with the aftermath of that incident. In addition to A Good Person, Braff's other directorial credits include the feature films Garden State and Wish I Was Here, and episodes of the series Scrubs, Ted Lasso, and Shrinking. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Braff spoke with director Zoe Lister-Jones about filming A Good Person. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Give it up for Zach Braff, everyone. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Thank you. The lights are a little bright, but um, not to give direction, but the lights are a little bright. Uh, Hi, friend. Hi. How about for Zoe's part in the movie? Yeah, thank you. (laughs) It's so cool. Um, You know, there's rules about this. you, You might not even know this, but the person who moderates has to be a DGA filmmaker. Mm. And so I went, Zoe! (laughs) So thank you for doing this. Oh man, it's such an honor to do this. And uh, the movie is so devastatingly beautiful. Um, There are so many questions that I'm so excited to get to ask you now. I I have you hostage. Um, But I guess my first question is just about the origin of the screenwriting process and how you found your way to the story. Well, um, it began with, um, I lost a lot of people in the last, um, since 2016. Basically the origin is my sister had an aneurysm in 2016 and uh, she survived it only as a fraction of herself for the next two years. And my mother was uh, by her bedside the entire time. And then she finally passed, and then my father uh, didn't last much longer. He died of cancer and, I believe, grief. And um, and then the pandemic came along, and my best friend, Nick Cordero, this was in the news, a wonderful, beloved Broadway uh, actor that I had met doing Bullets Over Broadway, the musical on, on Broadway. Um, he and his wife, Amanda Klutz, were living in my guest house with their baby, and he got covid very early on, very, very early on and checked into the hospital and went on a ventilator and, and never came off and eventually passed away at 41 years old from COVID. And in, so all of this was happening. All of those things were on my mind. Um, and, and it was lockdown. There was nothing to do. I, I was, I was done procrastinating. I knew I had to write something. I knew I wanted to say something. I had no idea really what it was. 
um, um, I, Florence and I were partners at the time. So I, I, I did know that I wanted to write something for her because I think she's just, uh, astonishing. And so those were kind of the ingredients. I sat down and, and stared at the blanking cursor and I wanted to write about the pain that I had in my heart and the sadness and the, and then just infinite grief. And also taking in mind people like my mother, who I was like, how is my mom going to recover from this? And then how is Amanda going to recover from this? How do we stand up again after such, after such trauma? Um, but I also liked humor. So I thought, how could I do it in such a way where I folded in some humor? Um, cause that's the, what I like. Um, I thought, you know, I think it was Quentin Tarantino. I keep crediting him for saying this. I think it was he who said, make the movie that you would want to see. And when I make the movie that I want to see, it, it can break your heart, but then it also makes you laugh. And so that's, that's sort of what I set out to do. You do that so beautifully. Thank you. I, I, I think, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a difficult thing to do beautifully as a filmmaker to navigate tone in that way. How do you do it? not only in the screenwriting process, but directorially, because you have such a deft hand at sort of going between these like heart-wrenching moments and then moments of dry humor. I, I think it comes from real life, really. You know, I have memories of my sister being, we were, my whole family gathered in the ICU waiting room and, you know, the half full fish tank and the stained ceiling and and the, the puzzle that's missing four pieces that everyone's done a couple times. And then my father said something mildly funny, like no one, it's not even that funny, but we all just start belly laughing because you're dying for a release. Right. And, um, and so I think that's what my, 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 my thought process is, um, you know, and sometimes these characters mean to be funny and sometimes they just are funny. Um, but that's, that's how I feel. Um, that's how I experience life. Um, and yeah, of course, in the craft of writing the script, I'm thinking, like, oh my God, this scene is so heavy and I just want it to live because it feels authentic, but the audience is going to need a relief. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like music. You're like, you can only sustain a certain note so long and then you have to change it. Um, so I, I try and, I, I try and do it that way. Like, um, and then of course, trial and error. And of course you, you don't always succeed in script or production. And then in editorial, you're like, okay, we're starting to get a sense of what this thing is. I had an incredible editor, Dan Shock, who, who I really, really love and will, will hopefully use all the time now. But he, he helped me with that a great deal being like, you know, we need, we need, we need to give the, we need to release some steam from the steam engine here. So what do we have? And hopefully we have something, you know, because there's plenty of, there are, there was humor left on the cutting room floor because there's times when you like, it's not, that's, you know what, that's one step too broad for this movie, you know, as you're finding the tone in, in the avid. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Florence. Yeah. <laughs> She's one of the great actresses of our time. Yeah, I've, I've honestly uh, never seen anything like it. And in this film gives such an astonishing performance. You wrote it with her in mind. Yeah. What was the collaboration process like between you, both as you were writing and then in pre-production? She was also a producer on the film. Yeah, well, we did. We were in lockdown together. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were all, as you all were, as, as we were looking for things to do. Um, I made a commitment to myself that I would write. Um, Florence learned to make sourdough and, um, <laughs> and, and also, and, and, and then we, you know, literally, um, it was ground zero for the Nick, uh, nightmare because Amanda and her child were living, st remained in the guest house. 
Um, and so many people, a uh, community uh, of loving people gathered around her and, and her family came and they were living there and friends would come and take the baby on stroller walks so she could have a moment of, of quiet. So um, Florence was very collaborative. You know, I didn't let her read the script until I was done, but I would come up from writing from the office and I would say, hey, I kind of discovered this thing today and I think, I'm thinking that this might happen after this, you know, just, just brainstorming like you do. And to her credit, she was never, um, you know, you, what you don't want is the person to be like, why would you do that? She would definitely, <laughs> you know, you want someone who's just kind of like, yeah, keep going. What else? Oh, that's interesting. What if it's this? What if it's that? And then I finally gave it to her and she had wonderful notes and ideas. How to, and then she wrote those songs. I mean, the, she, the, those two songs that she sings that's in the so film, incredible. she wrote in character as Allison, which was just really collaborative and wonderful. Um, and she had, uh, there's so many of, there's so much uh, of her, so many of her ideas in the film, including chopping her hair off, which those of you in this room in particular know, it was just a logistical nightmare <laughs> um, because we shot the movie in 26 days. And, and Florence came to me and she said, I really think after that prologue, we should find her chopping her hair off. And I was like, that's so good. But we, wigs are, even when you have a budget. So how are we going to do that? And she's like, Oh no, I don't want a wig. I want to really want to cut my hair off. And I was like, that's kind of scheduling impossible. And she's like, you'll figure it out. <laughs> so I went to my AD and I made brilliant ADs and I, and I went to my, my line producer and we kind of huddled and they were both like, are you out of your mind? Like this was, this was, this was fall of, um, uh, 21, really in the thick of COVID. And uh, we had an 84-year-old man. If, if Morgan had gotten COVID, it really would have shut the whole thing down. It would have been devastating for us. We didn't really have any any wiggle room. And I only mentioned that just to say that the schedule was really tight. You know, you were there. And um, so I just, I went back to her and I said, you know, at the time, babe, it's a uh, uh, that's not going to work. And she said, you guys will figure it out. And, and to, and to her credit, to her persistence, uh, we did figure it out. We, 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 we figured out some tricks that didn't involve wigs and, um, and, um, and we made it work. And I think it's really, really powerful choice. Um, I love it. and that really is her chopping her hair off in one take. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, as an actor and director, I'm yeah. always fascinated by that intersection of skills. And uh, as someone who's now had the privilege of working with you as a director, you put such trust in your actors, like, and it's such a gift. And I do think it's sort of intrinsic to being an actor yourself. Yeah. And working with someone like Morgan Freeman, you know, I'm just interested in hearing about your sort of philosophy on directing, especially coming from the acting world. The way I think about it is that casting is everything. And, and, and if there's a problem, the role is miscast, frankly. It should be easy. Not to say that it's, that it's always easy, but it should be relatively easy. Um, and the times in my life that it hasn't been, I think the person's probably been miscast. I always enter it as a conversation. I don't like, as when I'm an actor, I don't like a director who's saying it's this. It's like, well, it's not necessarily that. We're trying, we're, we need to find this together. Um, so as you know, it's my, the way my philosophy is, it's always a conversation. Um, you're not, I, I, you know, most of the thing time is just don't get in Florence Pugh and Morgan Freeman's <laughs> way, you know, just let them do their thing. But I do think that the best actors out there 
are so present and, 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 and in the moment in the scene, which is what you want, that they can't possibly, we don't want to as directors, filmmakers, ask them to look at the whole macro out of order. That's our job. So I always think of it like, let's engage in a conversation because I'm looking at what comes next. And I think maybe we should try one that's not as angry because look where we're going. What do you think? That's what I like. Because as an actor, that's what I like. And as a filmmaker, that's why. Because it's a conversation. And Morgan Freeman might be like, oh, I like that. Let's, let's roll. Let's do that. Or he might be like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm feeling this. And you go, okay, you're Morgan Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know what I mean? And, um, and there's times where, where I, where I, where I had to push him. I mean, I, I think this is one of the best performances he's given in a very, very long time. And yeah, really. And I think that thank thank you on behalf of him. And I, and I, and I want to say that we had made a com What helped was we had made a comedy together. I made a, I've only made one studio movie and it was a comedy. It was a remake of the George Burns movie going in style and Morgan and Michael Caine and Alan Arkin were the three stars. And so I really got to know Morgan and we, we had a nice banter. And so I think he really trusted me. And because we had a jokey banter, it allowed me to push him when he didn't want to be pushed. And he really let me um, push him to, to give this beautiful performance. It is so beautiful. All the performances are. Um, I last, uh, we're going to open up to the audience. Um, so get your questions ready. But my last question is just about Mauro Fiore because yeah. the, the cinematography is so stunning. Um, this was your first time working together. Yeah. Um, my other two uh, personal films were shot by Lawrence Schur, who's um um, incredible. He was just nominated for the Joker, uh, most recently. Um, I just always love Marrow's work and, and, you know, he started making all these beautiful Anton Fuqua movies. Um, Training Day, I thought was gorgeous. Um, um, Southpaw, if you, if you, if you don't remember, go look at it again. It's, it's the Jake Gyllenhaal boxing movie. It's just stunning. And then he went on and just did the biggest movies there are. He won an Oscar, Oscar for Avatar. He just shot the last Spider-Man. But I had, uh, because I sometimes direct commercials, I had, I had done a short film that came through Adobe. Um, it was a really cool little project. And it was a three-day shoot. Flor I asked Florence to be in it. Uh, Lisa Silverstone was in it. And, um, and, I, and I asked him to shoot it, which he was, uh, which he was okay to do because it was kind of like doing a commercial, which, which you know, we all know these A-list DPs love to do short little commercial jobs. And we just clicked and I loved him and I saw that he could move fast. And I, every show, he's one of those people, like they just, you know, we all know these people, they, you look, you, you, they just throw up the camera and maybe like one, you know, LED tube and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> How did you do that? It's gorgeous already, you know? Um, so I just love him. And I was very nervous coming off Spider-Man, whatever, that he would be able to, to adjust to the 26-day schedule. I was really nervous about that because he didn't have the manpower. He didn't have the, the amount of gear. And he certainly didn't have the time. We, we, couldn't, we didn't ever go over 12 hours or maybe once. Um, so, uh, but he did. And he did it really, really beautifully. It's, it's so beautiful. Um, all right. Does anyone in the audience Does have, anyone any, have questions? any questions? We're not going to pass a mic around. So yeah, we're going to repeat your and, questions because we'll that's repeat. what we do. In oh. the way back, somebody has a question. There's your director voice. Go ahead. <laughs> um, that's a very good question. I didn't. I really didn't want to spend time on, on, 
on the accident or the aftermath, the immediate aftermath. I, I, I want, I, 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 I always thought of that as a prologue and I, and I asked and hoped that the audience would infer that it had been hashed out. Um, and that, that she wasn't charged, um, um, with anything. Um, but that Morgan's character, Daniel, held on to that with great resentment and great anger and kept it down. And st as his as his granddaughter says, stares at the reports all night long and memorizes them. Um, so, um, yeah, it was it was always designed that whatever happened, uh, we've seen. And, and then and then the off camera stuff of of them breaking up and her physical recovery because she's quite, quite in, injured as well in the accident. All of that I wanted to skip because that wasn't the meat of the story I wanted to tell with my two hours. I wanted to tell about the, the life of, of one year later. Oh, thanks, man. Hey. Thank you. Um, Oh, the repeat, the question was music. Um, he's a big fan of, of the music in my movies. Thank you. And, uh, and how did the, how does my process work with that? And how did, how was it different in other projects? It's really, um, there's nothing uh, simple. There's nothing complicated about it. I just always have a running playlist of songs that are like, holy, shit, this would sound good in a movie. That's the secret. And also it's not just me. I have to say, I have music supervisors. I have friends in the music business. I have Carrie brothers who's in the movie playing himself and has a, that beautiful song. He's such a music geek and he's one of my best friends and he's always sending me music. So it's a, it's a definitely a team effort. Um, in terms of, I think the magic uh, is placement because you can have the song that's your current favorite song that when you're alone in the car, you put on every single time and then keep hitting repeat and then you try it to picture and there's just no alchemy there's no magic and then you can try a song in the avid that you shazammed three years ago in some cafe and you've got goosebumps all over your body so it's so much trial and error and 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 just trying and trying until you i would with dan shock i would I would point to the hairs on my arm when they were standing and I'd be like, okay, that's what this one's a contender because just something magical happens. And I think if there's any reason I'm, I might be decent at it, it's solely because I grew up on, on musicals. My father loved musicals. He took me to musicals and it was kind of an early education in, in the power of a, of, of a well-placed song. That's the only thing I can think of that, that makes it uh, extra special. This, of course, has the the added specialness of of having original songs written by the lead in character, which is something that doesn't happen that often. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Essex County represent. Um, he asked why Essex County again, which is uh, the county I'm from in North Jersey. Um, I think I felt if I was going to tell a story that was so vulnerable and and try and be as authentic as possible, like really, really get gritty with it, as you saw, um, that there was a bit of a safety net in setting it in an area I really, really know. Like, I'm not going to fuck up what a Jersey dive bar looks like. I know that. I'm not going to fuck up what a random adult riding a kid's BMX bike down the street looks like. I've seen that. Um, I know what the, a, a low budget pharmacy looks like. I know at the high school, like that's actually my high school that, um, both the soccer field and Morgan in the principal's office was my, my high school. Um, and also that pond, I mean, and, and it's just, it's just, I knew I'd get it right. You know, I could pick up other things, but I wasn't going to mess up, uh, the, the, the foundation and, and, and that duck pond where he sits is very special to me. That was, um, 
uh, when I was a kid, my mom got me a little remote control boat from Toys R Us and it was my favorite toy and I would drive it around that little pond. So it just felt really wonderful and magical to bring Morgan Freeman uh, to that duck pond. And anybody else? Yes, sir. Oh, thank you so much. Um, um, he asked about the model train set. That was another toy that was really important to me. I, I had OCD as a kid. Uh, I, I, I still do, uh, not as severely as I had it as a, as a child. And I look back now and that train set was a real, um, was really meditative. I didn't know it at the time, but it's so, mine didn't look like that. Mine was just literally a figure eight with, with a train station that had a walkie mic that you could be like now arriving. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Um, and I love, but anyway, my point was it was so it was so specific and meticulous and, and you had to be so focused that what I didn't know what was happening at the time was that it was meditative and it quieted my mind. And I thought that that would be a great a hobby for uh, a man who's been through what, what Daniel's been through. And also let's not even forget, he was a cop in Newark, which is a very tough place to be a cop. So, um, he's seen a lot of things. He's, 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 uh been an alcoholic for a chunk of his life. His father beat the hell out of him. So I, I imagine that he too would be searching for something um, that would quiet his mind. And, and of course he speaks to creating these little, um, beautiful, um, you know, little moments where, where life has worked out in a way that it hasn't for him. Anybody else? Yes. Way back there. Um, the tattoo on the arm is, um, during lockdown, I, I just was, uh, I stumbled across that, uh, stoic, um, Latin, um, Amor Fati, loving your fate. And as I was dealing with my own, uh, grief and, and, and trying to counsel my mom in particular, you know, we would send each other quotes and, and that were powerful and, and, um, you know, as you, as I'm sure you all can relate once in a, you know, we read so many quotes on the internet or, or your friends, but once in a while, one just kind of lands and hits you. And the concept of loving and accept, accepting your fate, um, uh, just was very powerful to me. And it felt like something that he might have as a little, you know, talisman, if you will, a little reminder on his, on his wrist. That's, that's what was the, the idea that, that uh, he had been he had been dealt a really bad, horrible fate, but he was really working to try and 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 love it. Anybody else? I think that's it. Maybe. Well, thank you, uh, Zoe. Do you yeah. have any other questions to wrap it up? <laughs> uh, no. Is there anything else you want to you want? No, to I add? just want to say thank you so much for coming, and and uh, I really appreciate it. Um, we don't have any advertising budget, so uh, it's, it's completely word of mouth. So uh, please tell your friends and uh, uh, thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Zach. Bravo. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America.